your source for all things Detroit Red Wings and Chicago Blackhawks. With your hosts, Jordan Linscott, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Kevin Musto. You're listening to the Stickblade Podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another edition of the Stick Blade Podcast. It is the Detroit Red Wings and Chicago Blackhawks podcast. We cover all things Detroit Red Wings, all things Chicago Blackhawks, as well as general news around the NHL. I'm your host, Jordan Linscott, and tonight I'm joined by my co-hosts, David Barnhouse, Kevin Musto, and Nick LePage. On tonight's schedule, we're going to be talking about the prospect tournament that just went down in Traverse City this past weekend. While we're talking about that, we're going to talk about a couple injuries that are pretty key for the Hawks organization moving forward. We're going to be talking about Provorov resigning, uh, Justin Falk's deal slash extension, whatever you want to call it. We're going to be talking about the Malkin and Kessel situation that ended up happening in Pittsburgh, sort of what forced that trade for him to Arizona. And then we're also going to be talking about a prospect list that got put up by Corey Pronman, just the Hawks and the Wings players who are on that list, where they're at. And with that being said, we'll go ahead and just jump right into the episode. The meat and potatoes of this episode are going to be talking about the prospect tournament that went down in Traverse City this past week. So for those that don't know, this past weekend, basically a bunch of teams got together in Traverse City and they sent all of their high-end prospects at least that were available to play against each other. They have this huge tournament. You can essentially pay and you can watch a day's worth of hockey. It's really sort of like a proving grounds for teams to test out their high-end prospects. Detroit ended up winning the whole thing at the end of the day, but some great games got to be played. You got to watch a lot of players really go up against their peers and players who have similar expectations. We'll go ahead and just start going through the games piece by piece. So, the first game that happened was actually the Detroit and Chicago game. Chicago ended up taking the game 5-4 in overtime. The game winner being a feed from Kirby Doc to Adam Boquist. So obviously the two of the Hawks' big names making moves and, I mean, showing their presence early in the tournament. What were your guys' initial impressions of this game? I'll go, if anyone doesn't mind. Go ahead and go for it, David. Um, so... I thought it was a really fun game to watch. I when we, we were recording our podcast while it was happening, so it was pretty fun to check in and see. And I think the Red Wings were down like four to one at one point. So I was like, oh, well, that's not a fun way to start. And then towards the end of our podcast, they started firing back and they brought it to overtime. So it was really fun to watch. It was great seeing the young guys really come out. Uh, Joe Valeno had two goals and they were both assisted by... Uh, Philip Zadina so they both kind of switched roles where everybody thought Valeno's more of the playmaker and Zadina's more of the goal scorer but in the tournament they kind of switched up roles because Zadina didn't score a single goal but I think he contributed very well and for the Blackhawks like great seeing like two of your upstart prospects that you guys drafted the past few years kind of seal the deal for the win so good for you guys to see that happen but yeah that's my thoughts on it yeah for for us here it was kind of the perfect opening game for the tournament to have the red wings face the blackhawks uh, unfortunately for the hawks they kind of peaked with that game there because 
after that game, it was just downhill for them at the tournament. We'll get into that uh, a bit later. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely a fun opening game for both of those teams. Yeah, it was great to see the Stars. The Stars come out for that first game. You know, we were hyping them up all off season, you know, saying these are the guys to look out for and the guys that we want on the team soon to be our future. So, yeah, hot start with Adam Oquist and Kirby Doc. They look great right off the bat. Adam Oquist, just, it looks like he knows everything he's doing when the puck's on his stick, and that's great to see for a young elite offensive defenseman. So that first game got everything excited, but like Kevin said, it was kind of downhill from there. <laughs> Yeah, so the Hawks, they came out fire in the first period. I mean, I believe, like you said, David, it was 4-1 to one at the end of the first with the Hawks leading by three goals. Uh, Detroit ended up rallying back towards the end, but still not able to really put the game away. I thought in per- terms of standouts for each team, I thought Kirby Dax did out really well. I mean, he had, what was it, a goal and an assist? Or was it a goal yeah, and Yeah, that assist? first game, Kirby Dock was really impressive. It was really impressive, and then obviously for the Wings organization, Joe Valeno was the standout, at least on the forwards, that's what I thought. For the defense, I really thought Moritz Sider sort of showed his presence early, and him and Doc actually got into it quite a bit. Yeah. So they, they were, were, uh, they were exchanging hits. Yeah, Sider's not afraid to back down, so I like that seeing that in him. And like you were saying, we'll talk more about him throughout uh, the rest of the games we talk about, but he – really impressed me and I was I'm really excited to see his potential aside from Bo Quist in that first game getting the uh the game winner Kevin and Nick would you guys have a player who you thought at least on the back end was a standout on on the uh on defense yeah well for me my favorite player in the entire tournament overall was Nicholas Baudet um who was a first round pick for the Blackhawks in the 2018 draft it was him and Bokefist of course Bokefist went eighth overall but they also had a, a late first-round pick, which they used on Nicholas Baudet. So another um, high-end prospect for the Blackhawks, but maybe not quite as talked about just because he's not a top-10 pick like a Bokefist or a Kirby Doc. But for me, Baudet was the best defender for the Blackhawks throughout the whole tournament. He was very, very consistent and just very reliable on the back end. I thought Chad Christ actually looked pretty good too. Uh, you know, he t- he had some issues with his with taking some penalties, but uh, other than that, there's I think it was game two. He had two assists or uh, game two or three. I thought he looked pretty good. You know, he looks like he's. I mean, he's going to start the year in Rockford, obviously, but he looks like he's ready to be one of those guys. If we need a D man because someone goes down, we could call him up. And I we talked I talked about it a few episodes ago. Like this is what his prove it year is, and it looks like he could potentially be ready to do that. Yeah, and what does help is, I mean, he is older than some of the other guys here in the tournament, so he definitely has more experience. But I think he, he is a player that could maybe potentially get a couple NHL games this year. At the very least, he'll be a, uh, a real important player for the uh, Ice Hogs. Okay. Well, just, uh, like I mentioned, you know, Detroit and Chicago, they played on the opening night of the tournament so they obviously didn't have any other uh, opponents that day uh the next games that both teams ended up playing uh detroit played against st louis on saturday and then chicago played against toronto watching a little bit of the toronto and chicago game seemed like a pretty much a flip-flop of that first game they got pretty much steamrolled in my opinion i mean it was what was it six to three yeah it was it was a brutal game but um there was one bright side that came out of that and that was Adam Boquist's 
vocal presence. He mentioned after game one, he felt like the he, his quote was, I felt like the puck didn't want to be on my stick. So he clearly wants the puck because he knows what he could do with it. And he fired off a couple of good shots. He, uh, he rang one off the post off a nice dangle. And, yeah, he looks like he has a hell of a shot for a D-man. And, you know, it's good to see a young guy speak up like that because when it comes to the NHL, you can't just be quiet. you got to vocal up. And, yeah, if you talk, you're going to get the puck on your stick. And the other game for Detroit, they played against St. Louis, and they ended up winning the game 7-3, to which I thought was a surprise because I thought St. Louis was better the first period. Yeah, it I seemed mean, like they were doing tr- just constantly turning it over to them. Like the Red Wings could not seem to keep that puck for the first period. And looking back at the Blues uh, games, they were up one nothing against us in the first period and blew it 7-3, to and then they were up 2-1. to against Toronto and blew that game six to two. So they start out strong in the first period, but they just kind of, in their games that they played, kind of just shut down after that. The next games after that were on uh, Monday. So on Monday, Chicago played against uh, St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis winning that one four to two, and then Detroit played against Toronto winning seven to four. So that sort of set the stage. I mean, Kevin, you mentioned it earlier. I mean, Chicago not really having a great run at this tournament. So I think once they lost those two games, it was pretty much, you know, not a wash necessarily for them, but it was one of those things where you knew that they weren't really playing for a winner spot anymore. Yeah, I think that definitely deflated the morale on the uh, Blackhawks roster. I think a lot of those guys weren't competing quite as hard as they were when they first came out the gate for, for game one. So, uh, it made the games a little less fun to watch because it just didn't seem like the compete level was quite there. Um, and I think it was, was it that game or was it the Minnesota game where they pulled, I think it was that game against St. Louis where they pulled Bofist and Doc out, right, Nick? Yeah, they pulled him out for that game just to give him a breather and, yeah, to rest. Obviously, the Hawks weren't interested in risking anything, but, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that night once it goes to the wild game. Yeah, so exactly. When you when you lose two of your top guys like that, it, it definitely makes it harder to compete. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, the Detroit-Toronto game, Detroit won that game 7-4, to four, which, I mean, it's kind of weird. Detroit was not a high-scoring team last year, but weirdly enough, they, their prospects scored high in this tournament. Lots of goals for them. Everything just seemed to be clicking with them is what it looked like. Like, the team would start off slow in the games, but they would just start firing up like, in the final, they scored three goals in the third. I mean, a lot of, you know, rally backs for Detroit in this tournament especially. I mean, it happened in the first game, and we'll talk about it in the, the last game. But, I don't know, Detroit playing from behind, and they seem to be able to pretty much force their wins. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was the well, – I forgot to mention it, but on the Saturday game, I believe that was when they swapped from uh, Caden Fulcher to – who was it? Was it uh, Romeo? Romeo. Sean Romeo. Yeah, so – they went with the goaltending change, and it looks like it basically went well for him after that. Yeah, Sean Romeo um, was a guy that um, I don't think was really expected to play because Larson was out with his groin injury, and Fulcher started to struggle. So they made the change, and, I mean, Romeo was fantastic. He had three wins in the tournament. And uh, the probably the biggest talking point for <clears throat> this 
tournament for both organizations is going to be the games that happened on uh, Tuesday. So the final day of the tournament, Chicago ended up playing against Minnesota, winning 6-1, although it wasn't really a win in a couple other metrics, but we'll get into that in just a minute. And then for the championship game, Detroit ended up uh, playing against Dallas, winning 6-5. So I'm sure Kevin, you or Nick has something to say about how the Chicago-Minnesota game went down. A couple injuries to say the least. Initial thoughts on how that game really unfolded? Yeah, uh, you know, it was brutal. I mean, it was awful. Uh, despite a 6-1 to one win, we had four prospects go down and three of them being huge names. Philip Kurashev, Kirby Dock, and Adam Boquist. Uh, you know, it, in a seventh place, I know you want to see what these guys can do against other elite prospects, but in a seventh place game, and you're losing three of your best prospects. Doc got a chest injury. Boquist, it was upper body and Kershaw. It looked like it was his groin. Uh, Doc believed to be precautionary. It just took him out for precautionary reasons. But Boquist and Kershaw, we have no idea yet. And you know, just it's good to see a win out of a team that wasn't motivated to play in that tournament. But seeing three stars go down like that, it's scary. I mean, especially with the season approaching and two guys that are on the brink of making the roster. Yeah, I thought in some instances it was a little unsportsmanlike. I thought some of the uh, Minnesota players were purposely targeting and headhunting some of the Blackhawks players, and it was just kind of allowed to happen. Uh, I didn't personally like seeing that unfold. I mean, I enjoy watching big physical games of hockey, but to watch three guys essentially go down I mean, you said Doc's pull was more of a precautionary type deal, but just the fact that three guys got hurt in one game. I mean, it was actually four. Hakkarainen lost his teeth. Yeah. Okay, There's just the, yeah, four guys. But go ahead, Jordan. Sorry. I was going to say, but even four guys at that, I mean, I enjoy a, you know, a rough game where guys are checking into each other and, you know, hitting hard, but. I think very much there should be some sort of line drawn where the refs have to start looking at the number of injuries and saying something's probably not right here. Yeah, I like to see that kind of high-level compete in a playoff game where there's a, a lot on the line. But in a game like this where it's kind of meaningless and there's no stakes, uh, I, there's no point to, to you know, purposely trying to injure the other team. Yeah, like you said, Kevin, they, the Wild looked like they were kind of playing a bit dirty. Uh, in, in the end, this tournament's all about guys playing for roster spots. And I mean, sure, there's some organizations that like dirty players, but for young guys that are just trying to get a crack at the NHL, it, it's sad or it's ridiculous to see something like this go down. I mean, it's, everybody's out there to do the same thing as to make an NHL roster, compete at a high level, but I mean, keep it clean just for this kind of tournament. I mean, the thing is, like, these guys are playing for roster spots. They're trying to make it to NHL teams. I mean, yeah, you'd like to be established as a guy who can play hard, who can play a competitive game. But on that same note, I mean, you don't want to be taking somebody out of the game. I mean, like you guys mentioned, you know, it seemed like in some ways Minnesota was headhunting to an extent. I mean, you can't obviously prove that unless you get some magical audio of a coach telling somebody to specifically target somebody, but I don't know. Just I thought that many injuries in a game seemed kind of suspicious. I, yeah, I would definitely. like to think that something will be done in the future f for tournaments if that starts to happen again. 
yeah, hopefully this sort of thing does not occur again to any team in the future. But if it does, then I think they definitely need to take a serious look at it and make some adjustments. The other uh, game for the Wings organization that happened was a championship game on uh, Tuesday. So Detroit ended up winning the game 6-5 in regulation. Um, I mean, Dave, you've been pretty high on this guy since we started talking about him on the podcast, but Joe Valeno again putting up a great showing. And Zadina didn't, you know, get a goal this whole tournament, but still getting an assist at least a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Giovanni Smith this game. I watched him, and he wasn't afraid to go to the boards, wasn't afraid to check into guys, and he just seemed to do a lot of things right. I have to agree with you. Giovanni Smith was like, he was a nuisance to the other team in terms of he was harassing them, checking them front end, back end. And I mean, in the tournament, he scored three goals. Like he, he was doing everything right. And I think he'll be on the Griffins this year, but I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if he got called up a few times to the main roster. No, like I, I think definitely his showing at this tournament was the showing that I don't think anybody really expected out of him. I mean, he put mm-hmm. up some great numbers and I mean, let's not forget this kid was criticized for his skating in particular when he got drafted, which this tournament, he looked like his skating had improved quite a bit from his draft year. Almost definitely. So a really fun game to watch though. Do you have anything else to add before we uh, just do general overall talk of the tournament though, David? Um, I just want to say, I think, one of the top players for the wings was Sean Romeo, not just because of like all the people who were scoring goals, but I think he, he wasn't expected to really play and he came out strong. And then like the third, the the final game championship game, he had 23 saves. Like he kept us alive that third period. So I think he turned a lot of eyes to him and I don't think he'll stay with us, but I think he's going to find somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised if he finds somewhere for sure. I mean, there are plenty of teams who would be willing to take a gamble on somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and just talk overall impressions for this tournament, or just takeaways, if you will. So, I mean, we've been talking about the wings for this past game. So, Nick or Kevin, what are your guys' initial takeaways for the Hawks organization moving forward from what you've seen on this tournament? I think uh, our big-name prospects that we were hyping up all season, they, they deserve the hype. They looked good. Uh, you know, Alexis Gravel in the first game against the Wings, he looked really well, actually. He made some huge saves in the third period to actually keep the Hawks tied to force it in overtime. So, uh, yeah, other than that, the big the big stars came out. Uh, I, I already mentioned Chad Kreiss. I thought he looked good. I like McKenzie at Whistle's game. So I was impressed with the bigger names on the Haw- the Blackhawks prospects. And... Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the future still looks bright. I mean, seventh place in a tournament, it doesn't really matter because they're going to be playing with other NHL stars in the future. But, yeah, so I thought everything was pretty good and the prospects looked sharp. Yeah, Nick said it. Um, Alex Gravel, I thought, was really good in the tournament. I wish we saw more of him, but uh, in the game that he did play, he, he looked really great. And... Again, like he looks to be a really good goalie prospect for the Blackhawks. He actually, his play style kind of reminds me a bit of Corey Crawford, which is kind of funny. Um, so hopefully one day he could make for a, a good successor. And then I mentioned it earlier, but Nicholas Bodin was definitely my favorite player overall for the Blackhawks. He's someone that doesn't 
stand out necessarily in that he's not a very flashy or showy kind of player, but he just does everything right for me. And uh, he's very steady, reliable. I always trust him to do the right thing when he's on the ice. That's important for a D-man. I mean, you don't need to be flashy as a D-man. Like you said, Kevin, you just you need to just make all the right plays. And it seems like Bodan did that throughout the whole tournament. So, yeah, he's definitely someone to keep an eye on going forward and uh, wouldn't be surprised to see him up next year. Yeah. So, and I mean, since it was a tournament, and we're going to assume you know guys are playing for jobs at the NHL level, who would you guys say was, based on this tournament, the most likely to grabish? Like a job with the big club. Out of uh, a shot of the whole uh, Hawks roster, who would you say was the most likely to grab a job at the NHL level based on performance at this tournament? I think um, I, I, I'm going to go with basic. I think Doc is going to at least get his nine games. I think they're going to call him up, see what he can do. And if it doesn't look like he's ready to flourish in the NHL this year, then they'll send him back down to the OHL. Doesn't count a year in his contract. So, uh, yeah, I just had to go basic there because I think it's between him and Boquist. Yeah, I think Kirby Doc is the only one that has a chance of making opening night roster. I don't think Boquist makes opening night roster. Maybe he does get that nine-game look later in the season um, after, you know, maybe like half a year in Rockford. But I don't see him making it right away, Uh, whereas Doc, I think, does get that nine-game look. That being said, we don't know if Doc will continue past those nine games. there is still a good chance that he goes back to Saskatoon for the year, but but I think he'll be there opening night. Okay. I, think, I think your boy Tim Stoderland uh, had a nice showcase too. I, uh, yeah, he did. I think uh, uh, the episode we did before, the week before the prospect tournament, we were talking about kind of dark horse uh, prospects to, uh, um, to, to watch at the tournament. I mentioned Tim Stoderland as a guy that uh, we should keep our eye on him. He did have a good showing at the tournament. Okay. Um, so I guess we'll move on to the uh, Wings side of it now. Uh, David, what was your biggest takeaway from this tournament for the Wings organization? Well, I could talk your ear off about Joe Valeno because I talk about him every freaking week. But What's his middle name again? Joe fucking Valeno. <laughs> 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 but uh, I'm going to switch things up today, and I'm going to talk about the back end. And I think, I know a lot of people were questioning uh, the drafting of Moritz Sider because they were like, who is this? I thought we were going to get this person or that person. But I, watching him in this tournament, I love it. Like he, he, I feel like he could shut pretty much anybody down defensively. I mean, he's been doing it since we called him up for the tournament and for um, some of the training camps we were doing. Uh, he looked really comfortable quarterbacking the power play. Um, I just think he's going to be a standout defenseman, and I don't think he makes the roster this year. Like, I think maybe he'll get a nine-game look. I mean, my unbelievable, crazy, not-going-to-happen hot take is that he does make the roster, and boom, he's on the team. But I think he's still too young, and he still needs to develop a little bit more. So I think he'll probably make the Griffins at least. Yeah, do you think it's more likely that he plays in the AHL in Grand Rapids or go back to Germany for the year? I think he stays. Uh, I think he goes to Grand Rapids. I think they want him to develop here um, and on the bigger on the bigger ice, not back in Germany. So I think he stays here. Say, so I think Moritz Slider was definitely the big standout for at least 
Aside from Valeno and Zadina, which everybody kind of expected, in terms of defense, absolutely. I think Moritz Sider was better than expected. I mean, like you said, a lot of people questioned this pick when it got taken, but in the same way that Philip Hironic can be an offensive defenseman, I think Sider can be his equal as a shutdown player. Um, I would love to see those two in three or four years, just seeing how well they develop and play together. I think they could complement each other very well. Um, but I really think that Sider made a great case for, if not at least a call up this year, he, I think he's going to the AHL. I mean, the competition is stiffer than it is in the German league. What is it, the DEL? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, but I think the competition there is going to be a little bit more firm to handle than the DEL is, which is good for him. He seemed to be able to handle everybody in the prospect tournament pretty well. And like you said, he looked very comfortable quarterbacking that power play. He didn't mind going back and waiting for the setup again. I mean, sometimes you look at young defensemen and they try to force a rush to happen instead of waiting for everybody to get set up. And he just he looked really poised. Um, on the front end, I mean, we've pretty much been talking about him this entire off season, but JFV as I'm going to start calling him <laughs> that, that kid was impressive. And even Zadina, he didn't have any goals, but he had an assist at least every game and he had some great chances. I mean, people are, you know, criticizing him on, you know, the hockey, what's it, the hockey forum boards or whatever they're called. But he was getting criticized on Reddit too. Um, I was on the subreddit during some of the games and there was a lot of people crapping on him saying he every time every time the camera zooms in on him he gets knocked down he gets knocked down he's not scoring there were people there was a couple of people calling him a bus and they were downvoted to hell but he's still young he had seven assists like leave the kid alone he's gonna do great yeah after the draft it's seemingly he's just been criticized like ever since he's been drafted I mean obviously a lot of hype from in the draft year going into the draft but after that like uh he got a lot of hate uh after his season in the ahl even though it was a pretty good season for him but yeah it's uh it's bizarre the amount of hate that's out there for philip zadina i don't get it i don't know i don't either want to crap on him like the kid's got talent he's he's shown it like he's still developing yeah it's kind of weird but i think zadina actually will be better at the nhl level than the ahl level and i know it's it's kind of a weird comparison but i think he's kind of got something similar to patrick kane in the sense of i mean patrick kane when you watch him play you can tell he wants to make moves happen and he's ready to make them happen but he needs teammates who are willing to play at that pace and that speed with him Mm -hmm. and i think zadina's kind of in a similar boat in that regard I mean, you watch him when he gets that puck. He's not afraid to start taking it into the zone immediately and start trying to set up, whereas some of the guys that he plays with are cautious when they start setting up. I don't know. I think maybe that could possibly be why he's not producing. Yeah, and there were people on Reddit that were like, oh, defenders are just backing off him because they know he's just going to shoot it when he gets the puck. And I'm like, what's what's wrong with that? I want a player that just wants to shoot. He wants to shoot because he wants to make things happen. So why are you criticizing a player? that wants to shoot and make things happen. I don't get it. I think the only issue with Zadina, he's going to be a stud no matter what, but I want to see him drive the net more. Like he, he has a shot that can, he can shoot from distance and pick corners. But if he develops that game where he drives the net and doesn't shoot from a far distance and truly it's like a 
power for not I know he's not a power for he's more of a sniper, but if he gets into those lanes and creates gets in the dirty areas, he's going to be an elite scorer in the NHL. Ah, oh, I love the sound of that. <laughs> no. I think the people worrying about his production, I don't think there's anything to really worry about. It's a four game tournament realistically. I mean there are several forwards in the NHL who go four games without scoring. And it's not even he just stayed off the score sheet. He just didn't get a goal. I mean, I don't think a lot of the hates warranted. No, and if it, I mean, if he if he had zero goals and zero assists, yeah, I'd be I'd be a little worried. But no, he had seven assists. Like he and a lot of them were primary. Like, come on. Yeah, I think that's pretty much gonna wrap up just the talk of the tournament that happened this weekend. I mean, I, I thought it was a great look for both organizations. I mean. Obviously, Chicago would have liked to have seen a little bit more success, but you did get to see some good talent and play from those higher-end prospects in their system. Detroit got it as well, so I just for both teams, I thought it was a great weekend. You got to really see those players in action and see what they can do, and they both showed that they can do good things. Yeah, I mean, no matter how your team performs, at the end of the day, the tournament's just a lot of fun to, to watch. You're watching the future of your team. So uh, despite how you place in the standings, uh, it's just a blast watching those guys, those young uh, up-and-comers play. The standings that matter starts in October, so nothing yeah. to worry about. And, yeah, it was just great watching our guys that we've been looking forward to watching because, you know, we've been talking about how great these prospects are in our representative organization. So, yeah, just fun watching them and actually see them on the ice against other talent. And I'm looking forward to seeing them up that, up in the NHL down the road. We'll move on to our next topic for this week. Uh, while we're talking about both of the teams right now, uh, we'll talk about a prospect list that uh, Corey Pronman ended up putting out this past, uh, what was it? Was it a couple days ago? Today. Oh, was it today? Yep. Okay. Well, basically, uh, Corey Pronman put out his list of the top prospects in the NHL. Nicky sent me the, the TLDR version of it, but basically uh, he's got Kirby Dockett, number 9, Philip Zedina at 23, Adam Boquist, 25, uh, Moritz Sider at 30, he's got Volano, 66, uh, Nylander, 75, Kubelik at 82. You forgot Bergen, 80. Oh yeah, sorry, Bergen at 80. Uh, Ian Mitchell at 92, Oliver Koski at 95, Master Simone, 111, and McIsaac at 123. So quite a few players from each organization on that list. Um, obviously, Doc the highest at nine, but I think that's a good showing for both organizations. I mean, they still have high-end pieces in their pipelines, which we know we're going to eventually one day make a roster. And, I mean, yeah, some of the, you, can, you can nitpick these lists all you want and, you know, say this guy should be a couple slots higher, a couple slots lower, but... This tournament kind of showed us, you know, these rankings are pretty fair for these players. I I agree. I just think Joe Valeno is a little low. Like, he dropped. Uh, He was 43, and he dropped to 66, when I think he's only improved since we drafted him. I feel like he could have jumped up a little bit higher, at least. I think the main issue with Valeno is just because it was his fourth year in the QMJHL. Like, he had a great season, don't get me wrong. It was just, with it being his fourth season, being an older an older minor, I should say, uh, yeah. d- dominated against the younger guys. But, yeah, he looked good. I I think 66 is a little low, too. But, again, I mean, it's just a list. Uh, they could outperform it. We've seen people do it before. So, 
Yeah, and then what, the only thing, that, only other thing that shocks me is the fact that Dominic Kubelik and Alex Nyland are only like seven spots apart. <laughs> yeah, um, I think uh, what Nick said about Polano is like that's probably the reason why he wasn't uh, ranked as high is because he's still playing in the QMJHL, which again, great season, but he's playing against you know younger players and but. You know, if he plays a year in the AHL or even the NHL and dominates there, obviously that's going to raise his stock quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and the other thing for me is I'm always going to nitpick when Ian Mitchell is underrated. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was going to let you handle that one. I was going to say something like, all right, no, that's that's Kevin's job. But yeah, yeah I, I, I'm not going to let you down on that front. No, yeah, Ian Mitchell... Uh, I I know I know Jordan just said that you can nitpick everything, but he needs to be higher. I mean, he's going to be a stellar top four D man in the future, and he just seems to keep getting disrespected. I'll also say I'm uh, I'm glad that uh, Bergeron made the list for the Detroit Red Wings because he's a player that I'm really high on. Yeah, me too. I'm he's pretty. He's kind of a sleeper player right now. A lot of people don't even know who he is. I mean, yeah, I, I loved him in, in his draft year. I ranked him like top fifteen. I really liked him a lot. He um he's not even on any of our camp rosters, so I guess he's just not ready. Or it wait, could possibly I... be that he's not ready. I mean, I haven't looked at the roster that they have out for this camp going on right now, but even if he's not, it could also just be like scheduling conflicts or something like that. True. I mean, overall, like just I mean, looking at the names from both organizations who are on this list, it's good to see each team not only has one player in each position they've got multiple at each position which is good obviously we've talked about the big guys like doc and zadina boquist cider valeno those guys but even the fact that they still have other guys who weren't those first rounders who were in that top you know 100 shows good signs for both organizations yeah it's it's nice to see uh both organizations represented pretty well uh detroit i believe has seven in the top 124 is the list out of 124 random number but we'll go with it uh and then the blackhawks with five so yeah it's great to see you know i've mentioned it a few weeks ago but the youth movement in our farm system is for something that we have our organizations haven't been used to for a long time it's developing and it's developing strong Mm -hmm. we'll go ahead and move on from the blackhawks and the red wings talk now and move on to what's going on to the rest of the league or uh, rest of the league uh, the first piece of news we'll talk about is Provorov being re-signed. Uh, Nick, you actually broke this to us right before we recorded. I didn't even know that it actually happened, so why don't you go ahead and just give us a breakdown of the details really quick. Yeah, I wish I actually broke it just so I could get some uh, hype on Twitter, <laughs> but breaking it to you guys is a nice uh, complimentary piece. But yeah, Provorov got an extension. Uh, it's six years, 6.75. The Phillies locking up their young decor. And I, I actually love this deal. I think he's pretty good. I think he's a really good young defenseman. Only going to get better over time. And, you know, I mean, some fans may think it's an overpayment or some people in the NHL may think it's an overpayment, but it's all about locking up your guys and hoping they develop to that pay because you need to keep these young studs around for a while. Yeah, I'm kind of in that camp right now where I do think that currently it's probably an overpay. Like, I don't think Provorov is worth that amount of money right now. But as long as he continues to progress at a good rate, he'll definitely grow into that contract, and that's going to be the expectation for him. And he could always end up overplaying his contract. Like he could. That could happen too. Yeah. So it's worth taking a risk. I mean, 
6.75 right now seems like a lot, but who knows? Two years down the road, you'd be like, wow, we got him for a steal. The thing sure. to note also is, I mean, defensemen are, they're considered a premium in this league right up there with high-end centers. I mean, you generally have to pay them more for the higher-end pieces. I mean, just because they're chewing so many minutes every game. I mean, in that way, they kind of have to get that bigger number if you want the higher-end pieces as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean... You guys mentioned it could be an overpayment right now, but in the future, it could also be a great deal. I mean, if he turns into uh, even, even like a, a number two defenseman, that's awesome. And paying, uh, no, not even $7 million for a top two, that's not bad. Yeah, and if you look at Philly's current roster, I mean, he's definitely the top guy there. So you got to pay him to keep him around because uh, uh, a Philly roster without pro Rob would not look too good. <laughs> not one bit. And the theme of this show is going to be paying a young defenseman because there's quite a few contracts to talk about. Yeah, no kidding. The uh, Another piece of news that ended up uh, going out this week, Justin Falk in talks of a deal slash extension, however you want to explain it, with the Anaheim Ducks. Um, from what I was understanding, basically he wants a deal to get made and then traded. So it's kind of like an extension for a team he hasn't signed with yet. So kind yeah, of yeah, it's a sign and trade kind of situation. I think that happened with uh, yeah, that happened with uh, Mark Stone. I think when he went from uh, Ottawa to Vegas. No, I think he had to wait. Oh, he had to wait. Okay. Yeah. Uh, was it Patch? It might have, was it Patch already? Um. Oh, maybe that happened with Patch already. I I can't remember. It definitely happened recently. A sign and trade, but. But yeah, I mean. Uh, the tricky situation in this is why Falk wants to get this extension done is because Anaheim's actually on his no-trade list. So uh, it's kind of a complicated situation for the Carolina Hurricanes because the only way Falk's going there is if he gets paid and he gets years on his contract. So uh, the return seems like it's going to be Andre Koshit and some plus other assets. That's the main uh, That's the main focus of this deal right now, and obviously the extension plays a big part. That would be a, a great get for Carolina if they could add uh, Kasha. Oh yeah, he's a young, a nice young player. He he's he was like second on the Ducks in goals last year. Yeah. So I mean, they Carolina's already got the D. Obviously, we talked about it last week. So Kasha is gonna if they if this deal does happen, he's a nice young forward to add to that group that they have going on over there. Yeah, especially if they're training guy, training away a guy like Falk, who's not even going to make the team's roster probably. Like he's kind of getting forced out of the lineup. So if you can trade just kind of an extra guy like that and pick up a, a really great goal scorer like Kasha, I mean that's a great win for Carolina. Yes, Justin Falk's someone who's definitely expendable at this time, and yeah, getting a return like Kasha, well worth it on Carolina's aspect. Um, next topic that we're going to be talking about tonight is uh. News coming out that basically uh, Evgeny Malkin and Phil Kessel a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a standoff, if you will, between them. Uh, from what I understand, basically Malkin told management, "Look, it's either going to be me or Kessel, so make your choice." And that might probably explain why Phil Kessel ended up going to Arizona. Often, hockey is considered one of those sports where players aren't allowed to have personality. Um, I think it's kind of cool to see something that breaks that trend. I mean, I like when players do stuff like this. It's kind of, I guess, not fun, but it's just different. We don't see stuff like this very often. 
especially just because hockey is often considered, you know, uh, it's a gentleman's sport where everybody's respectful. Nobody really has problems except for on the ice. But I just think it's kind of interesting that this came out. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Uh, you know, I think I feel like some of the stories maybe blown out of proportion. Like I feel Evgeny Malkin definitely recommended this idea. I feel like though with the sit, it was a situation where they like, sit down. Do you think we could win with Phil Kessel? And maybe Malkin said no. I because Malkin's a true pros pro. I mean, he's always done the right thing in the NHL mm-hmm. ever since he was a young kid in here. So I, it could have been just that situation where it was like, do you think we could win with Phil Kessel? And Evgeny Malkin disagreed because he Malkin voiced his displeasure playing with Kessel this year. It's it's nice to see Sidney Crosby came to side with his boy Malkin. You know, he's, he said it's me and Gino forever. So. I don't think Lemieux is going to let Gino walk with walk away from what he's brought to Pittsburgh. Uh, I mean, Malkin, if it, if Crosby was not the face of that franchise, Malkin would be it. I mean, he's he's a he's pillar a number of that one. Team. Yeah, he's if Malkin was not behind Crosby, Malkin would be the number one center on that team, and it's not really up for debate. I mean, oh, hands down. <laughs> Pittsburgh's always had that duo. It's it's been Yager and Lemieux, and now it's. Malkin and Crosby, so yeah, it seems like uh, you know I mean, they were they they decided quickly and they knew what they were gonna do, and that was to ship out Kessel. I mean, when yeah, I you have to of... decide between Malkin and Kessel, it's a very easy decision to make. <laughs> oh, hands down. When I think of pillars of the Pittsburgh Penguins, I think of Mario Lemieux, Yarmy Yager, Sidney Crosby, uh, Malkin, and Fleury. Like that's who I think of when I think of the Penguins. And I mean, you were actually saying this. Uh earlier just a second ago but some of the story also could be getting blown out of proportion i mean like you said malkin is a pros pro i can't imagine that he would necessarily go to management and say it's either me or him but i mean he's the, not the kind of guy that would do an ultimatum well, he, he's never struck me as that sort of player so it seems kind of weird that that's how this got reported but it is an interesting idea that just the players will sit down with management and say, look, I don't see it happening with X player on our roster. Just the fact that like a player can have that kind of sway. And like, we don't obviously have a backseat into how that decision went down, but just the fact that that could have been a factor into it is just different and something you don't see very often. We can only hope this is the start of trouble in Pittsburgh because we're tired of seeing them dominate. (laughs) Yeah, um, if, I mean, I'm on their subreddit right now, and apparently he did not request the trade according to a reliable source in the Penguins organization. So I guess he wasn't saying, like, I want to leave if he stays. But Yeah, I just feel like it was one of those situations for, like, what's best for the team right now. And mm-hmm. I mean, they got it's not like they got a bad return. Alex, they got Alex Galchenyuk in return, plus, other, plus more. And I think Galchenyuk's going to be a good fit for that uh, team. But what, the reason why I brought him up is I wanted to, there's actually a story about Malkin and Galchenyuk just came out yesterday. Galchenyuk showed up to camp, and he was bringing, He brought in three sticks, and Evgeny Malkin seen Galchenyuk walking up with three sticks and took one of them, and now it's Evgeny Malkin's. It's, he just took, he straight up took it. I don't know if he didn't know if it was Alex Galchenyuk, but he just took straight up Alex Galchenyuk's stick, and now it's Evgeny Malkin's to keep. Welcome to Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, Classic this is how we, Malkin. Classic this is how Malkin. we treat you. What a boss move walking up to the new guy just taking his stuff and saying, this is mine. Well, he had two <laughs> sticks. I mean, come on. He had two sticks. <laughs> Evgeny Malkin liked the sticks, and now it's his. I mean, it's just yeah. simple as that. Someone should make a meme of, uh, what, what was that movie? The Captain Phillips get the guy from there, except put Malkin's face on saying, look at this <laughs> stick. 
Mystic is my mine stick now. now. <laughs> I am Mystic now. Uh, but no, I just I thought this was kind of an interesting story. I mean, some of it could be getting blown out of proportion, but just a, Kessel was a pretty big part of their recent success with the Cups. I mean, but we did mention, you know, Crosby and Malkin have been the cornerstones for that team. And just to see them essentially get rid of a guy who was a piece of that back-to-back winning cup run for them it's just it was pretty big and to hear that another player in the locker room had at least a little bit of sway on that decision it's kind of a big deal Mm -hmm. i don't believe there are any other topics there's two more two more yeah sorry all right so the first uh was morrissey for the jets josh morrissey okay so i'm looking at his thing right now and josh morrissey signed an eight-year 50 million dollar extension with the jets uh, yeah, so 6.25 per year. Well, the breakdown is 2021, 21, 22, he's getting 8 million. Then it drops to 5.2, then 8 million, then 6.4, and then 4.8 for the last three years. So they kind of disperse it around. Yeah, well, but the, the, the average cap hit there is yeah. 6.25. 6.25. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I like this signing for Winnipeg. You know, they've uh, they've obviously had they've been in a complicated situation this offseason with Kyle Connor. Patrick Lyon, but they locked up one of their young D-men for a long time, uh, Josh Morrissey. He's also really good. I mean, I, we, I feel like this whole summer we've been talking about really good young defensemen, but that's what this league is turning to, young, really good young defensemen. So uh-huh. I think that I think the pay is warranted. I think he's a stellar D-man. I don't think it's an overpay at all. And, yeah, he got a really fair contract for the Jets. Oh, yeah. yeah, I agree with Nick. Morrissey is a really great defender, and he's definitely worth the money they're paying him. I third that, and the 6.25 average is not bad. We talked about it earlier with um, our last guy. Provorov. Yep, Provorov. Provorov. And I think, yeah, in a couple years, they may be thinking, man, he's worth way more than this. While we're on Winnipeg, uh, Patrick Laine still not signed, uh, if I recall. Is that correct? Yep. No signing, and uh, doesn't look like he's going to be on the Jets much longer. Kevin, no. you, Kevin, you introduced us to the uh, what might happen. So, oh yeah, I mean there was like all sorts of speculation with Line A just because there was a a rumor around going around that he was being traded from the team. Then now he's no longer listed on their roster on their website. And then someone was reporting that his banner got taken down outside the MTS Center in Winnipeg. So I, there's all this weird stuff going around. It, it's kind of pointing towards Lining not being on the, the roster this season. Well, this article I'm looking at right here, Jets not worried yet about Line. This was two days ago. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just a tornado of craziness. It Talk doesn't seem go ahead, George, sorry. Oh uh, no, you go, Nick. I, I just doesn't seem like the Jets know what they want to do going forward with Line. I mean, like there's trade rumors about sending him to the Ducks, which I don't know what's going to go on if that Falk deals gets done, so maybe the Ducks are going all in. But yeah, it doesn't seem like the Jets are going to take a stance yet on what they want to do with him. So This whole offseason for them has been kind of weird with Patrick Line. I mean, we were talking about it a little bit last season, but they're kind of in this position where they're having to play a gamble. Are we going to get high-end Richard level line or are we going to get the line who had the slump? I mean, I don't know. I think for Winnipeg, they're in a really tough situation right now. Yeah, definitely a tough situation for Winnipeg. And then again, they have uh, Kyle Connor. They got to deal with, and I was seeing reports that I think it was three or four teams are in contact with uh, Kyle Connor for offer sheets. So I don't know who those teams are, but 
basically Winnipeg has to act fast because they don't know what they're doing with line A yet, and they're getting offer sheet threats for Connor. I would love to see some good old offer sheets. I want to see them. <laughs> yeah, we, we support offer sheets here on the Stick Play Podcast. Yeah, this is an offer sheet friendly pro- podcast. We are the first to claim it, so trademark. One is safe. <laughs> Uh, but we'll go ahead and uh, move on. What was the uh, the other topic, David? Well, we're on the uh, Wierenski. 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 Okay, so go ahead and uh, walk us that one, David. So he signed a three-year, $15 million contract. I think it's a bridge deal. Is it? Am I wrong on that? Yeah, I'll take him to arbitration. Yeah, and that's five mil per. But one thing to note is that his last year is $8 million, so... That will be the number going into arbitration, like to start, because just because that's the final year of his deal. So, which is, I mean, I think it's a very, obviously, very underpaid. Uh, he could he could have been up there in the eight million category, but I, yeah, I think this is all strategy. You know, going in with eight million in the final year means he's going to get paid on his next deal, no matter what. He's not going to yeah. get shafted shafted like this. And yeah, definitely, if you're the Columbus Blue Jackets, having him and Seth Jones locked up for pretty relatively cheap you're you're jumping out your out your seats right now because that's a, that was a steal yeah it breaks my heart a little bit because i really wanted him on the wings just having him and larkin on the same team so good for him getting paid but i'm gonna i'm gonna pour one out later yeah Wierenski and jones are such a powerhouse pairing and uh columbus is very lucky to have both of them so it's Columbus, they lost a lot of pieces this offseason, but they also picked a couple up. So looking just for a second at their, uh, their picks, do you guys think that they're still going to be in the playoffs this coming season, assuming they have a season similar to last season? No. No, they're not. They won't make the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to be as bad as we've been like I as I should say. I've been saying just because you got two stud demon like that. And, I mean, obviously no Bob, no Panarin, no – Duchesne, no Dezingo, but with two young stud defensemen that they could play 30 minutes a night if they really wanted to. So they're going to be a force to be reckoned or just those who I should should say will be a force to be reckoned with, but playoffs, I think, is out of the question. And they I also got used to have biggest, Nyquist. Oh, yeah, they added Nyquist. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, Dubois gets better every year, and they've still got players like Atkinson who's really good. But I was just going to say that the biggest hole for them is going to be uh, with the goaltending because – uh, Bobrovsky obviously not on the team anymore, and with Corpusalo and uh, I don't even know who their backup is, but um, n- not a great tandem. I, I think they might be uh, bleeding goals throughout the season. But I, I can't see that organization being, you know, a, a bottom feeder team this year. I mean, I think they still have some decent. I think they're more players. of a bubble team. Yeah, yeah I, I could see him as like a bubble team this season. I mean, I think they could make it, but they could also narrowly lose it. I mean, I don't think they're going to be bottoming out this year because no, they they're not going to be. Uh, they're not going to be a team fighting for uh, a lottery pick, but uh, I think they'll be on that bubble. I don't know if they quite make it into the playoffs because I think it'll be a bit tough. But we'll see what happens because, as we know, anything can happen in the NHL. Yes, that is true. <laughs> I think we should. Should we give our uh, Mitch Marner update of the week? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's right, do the Mitch, update of the week. Mitch Marner update of the week. Still not signed. And <laughs> it's not even close at this point. The latest report from Bob McKenzie is Marner actually wants a three year deal. Maple Leafs want to pay him eight years for 11 million, but Marner wants three for 13. So 
it doesn't seem like this is going to get done anytime soon. And yeah, it, it, not nothing even close. So that that's going to be our update probably for the next like several weeks. Marner, Marner, that's your Mitch Marner update of the week. <laughs> get some autotune on that. It's going to be an awesome. It's yeah. So awesome. how many how many more Mitch Marner updates are we going to have throughout the season? Uh, probably no more until he actually signs trades offer sheet. That's really about it. That's really about it. I mean, do now. So I, mean, I feel like we're going to hear about Marner every week for the next few months. I'll yeah, do my jingle like, every week. Uh, we get. I mean, your voice. You have the voice of angels. So I mean, I'm down. To, I'm down to listen. And then she's like, and uh, the update is, he still hasn't signed. <laughs> uh, I saw a really yeah, every week we'll ask you the question, David. Has Marner yeah. signed? And you gotta do you gotta do that song every time. Like you okay. can't shaft it. <laughs> Write down the lyrics now so you don't forget them. I'm a showman. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> oh my goodness! You know, I, I saw a really interesting angle though online for him. Um, the CBA is going to be up in a couple of years. Um, people have been Maybe saying next year. Yeah, people have been saying they think that he's holding out so he can try to take advantage of the new CBA, which I think that's kind of interesting. But part of me also wonders, I mean, you said he was offered, what was it, eight years at 11 per? Yes, but yeah. his main issue is he thinks he deserves more than Matthews, which I can see the case. But, uh, I mean, that's that's going to be a downfall of an organization. Like, why would you want to go back to Toronto if you want more? Because you're not going to be able to keep the pieces at if you want that much money. No, yeah, I mean, he, he got an offer that would make him the second highest paid winger in the league, and he declined it. Hey, even so, I mean, $88 million, that's not a bad payday by any means. Hey, what's, if you're making that much money, what's the difference between two mil? Not, not much. Not, not much money at all. And you could still keep an awesome team together, but it doesn't seem like Mitch Martin wants that. Uh, I don't know. That, the whole situation is a mess, to be honest. I mean,. Seems like both parties can't really make anything happen because the Leafs, if they do it, they're just gonna put themselves in complete cap hell. And Marner doesn't want to do it because I mean, potentially gonna get a bigger deal. The CBA could have something happen to it where he could get a bigger payday. Just the whole thing is just such a mess at this point. Um, but after the Marner update, is there anything else that anybody can think of to talk about this week? I think that's about it. Okay, so. Was, uh, I was asking you guys this earlier via text before the show, but while we were uh, doing this episode, I had an interesting idea. Um, prospect tournament was this last weekend, and if we're looking at each team and who their highest uh, potential player is center, wing, and defenseman, I kind of want to just get everybody's opinion on that regards to who we think has the better player. So we'll go ahead and just start... Uh, for example, Detroit's highest center prospect is obviously Joe Valeno at this point, and the Blackhawks is Kirby Doc. So we'll go ahead and just, I guess, branch off and see what sort of cases we can make for who we think will be better overall down the road. So obviously, Valeno versus Doc will be our first one. Um, my opinions on this are that I think Valeno will be the better two-way player but I think you're going to see flashier plays out of Kirby Doc, and you're going to see a more skilled-based game out of him. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think they're both going to be pass-first mentality guys, but, yeah, I think Valeno's got, got that 200-foot game aspect to him. Kirby Doc doesn't have it quite yet, but, yeah, Kirby Doc has unreal vision where I think that's where the advantage is. He's basically getting crafty with the puck, but Valeno, it's, it's going to be it's a close, it's a close battle. I think 
Doc has a, a sneaky 200-foot game to him, and I think we'll see it grow a lot uh, over the years. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, overall, like, Kirby Doc for me is definitely a better player than Joe Valeno, and I think there is quite a bit of a gap between them, at least in my opinion. <laughs> I, I love JFV. I love him with all my heart, and I think he's going to be a fantastic two-way center. I think he's going to do well, but... Kirby Doc's Kirby Doc. I think Kirby Doc's going to be, in the long run, the better player. But not saying Joe Blaine is not going to be great. I think he's going to be a great player for the Wings for years to come. But Doc's Doc. Yeah, yeah. I think you're you're comparing a, a first-line center to a second-line center here. Yeah, it's no knock on Valeno. It's, he's going to be a good player. I mean, just between <laughs> two people, like, I mean, sure, it's going to be close. But Doc has got that number one, that first-line potential center. So I think that's the only thing that really is the differentiator is that Doc will be playing on the first line and uh, in the future, but Leno, like you said, is probably a second-line center. Okay. Um, we talked about uh, centers. We'll talk about D because that's the other one, I guess. That, I guess you could kind and of compare. Winners, too. Yeah. Um, talk about D for a minute because, I mean, those we didn't really have any wingers from Detroit that stood out, and, I mean, there weren't a there wasn't really a quote-unquote standout winger from Chicago, I don't think, this tournament. But on D, Sider uh, versus Boquist. Kevin, who do you think's coming out ahead on that one? Are we talking like just this tournament? Or, or like uh, just like long-term projections? Long-term projections. You know, it's an interesting one to compare Boquist and Sider, uh, just because they play different styles of defense. Sider's um, more of a shut-down defender. Boquist is uh, very offensively gifted so it, it's a little tough to compare the two i have to say yeah from the defensive side of things it'll probably be cider but for sure obviously, uh, uh, adam boquist got that elite offensive d-man skill in him so yeah it, it's tough to compare but i think they're both going to be just stellar at what they're meant to do on the ice yeah i think you'll see cider end up being the better defensive player and then boquist the better offensive player i wholeheartedly agree with both those statements, but I did enjoy seeing Sider uh, quarterback in the power play. He seemed very comfortable. I think just because of his hockey IQ and how smart he is on the ice, I think he will do well offensively, but he's predominantly going to be just the strong defensive player that we know he's going to be. Yeah, and that wasn't me trying to knock uh, oh, no, Sider's not, not, not offensive game. He definitely will be producing in the NHL. Um, just like Boakfist, you know, we've seen him play um uh some really good like one-on-one defending so that's also not to say that boat fist is going to be a complete failure as a defender um but you know definitely they have their areas that they really excel in and i think uh that's what we'll see out of them is boat fist being a real offensive superstar and then uh true cider being more of a, a true shutdown kind of guy very true okay and then finally we'll uh We'll look at the winger front because I think this one is an interesting one. Um, I'll be honest, I don't really know who the top winger or forward prospect really would be. I think it's there's kind of a toss-up right now for Chicago. Uh, Nick or Kevin, who would you say is the top one? Because, I mean, I've heard a lot of people giving uh, Phil Kurashev a lot of praise, but I've also heard people giving, uh, who is it, Evan Barat, is that how you say his name? Evan Barrett. Evan, He's a Evan Barrett. Oh, yeah, Kuroshev also plays center, though he also plays wing. So I'm not really sure where they're going to end up playing him long term. 
Okay. From the tournament, yeah, it'd be Kershaw. But I mean, I think the best prospect winger, it, it's got to be Alex Nylander. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, in that case, we would be running Nylander up against uh, Philip Zadina, which Whew. I mean, I, I think we, I think Zadina just overall has just so much higher of a ceiling. I mean, people were saying his NHL comparable is. Nikita Kucherov, which that's that's a bit crazy of a comparable to have. It's high yeah. praise. It's definitely high praise. Very high praise. And I think uh, he puts on a little weight, like muscle, to strengthen up. And like uh, Nick, you were saying earlier, he finds his way into that gritty area. He's going to be an elite goal scorer. So I think he takes um, the future winger prospect uh, hands down, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I could... The only thing I could really say about Nylander is uh, the rumors of his lack of will and wanting to play or laziness, but he's got an elite shot still, uh, and that's what the Hawks brought him over here. They brought him over here to score goals, and we're not going to see a 200-foot game out of him, but we'll see a hell of a shot. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with uh, going with Zadina here. I think uh, Philip Zadina has that first line upside, whereas Nylander might be more second line, both both very good wingers, but uh, Zadina gets the edge for sure. I was just curious what your guys' opinions were on him because, I mean, I don't know. Both teams had a pretty high-end prospect at every position at this tournament, so actually it'd be kind of fun to just like a thought experiment on it. Yeah, um, it was a fun topic to kind of compare uh, the best on both teams, although for me, Ian Mitchell is still the Blackhawks' best defenseman. <laughs> Beat that drum. Beat that drum. <laughs> Hey, you know, it could actually happen. I mean, we've seen it before, though. We've seen players take over. No, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing. I think he's going to be the best de- <laughs> d- defenseman. I'm just saying, beat that drum. We got to get Ian Mitchell's name respected. <laughs> yes, we do. the The day he signs is going to be there's going to be a big celebration on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was happy when Dylan Sakura signed. Oh. I mean, when Ian Mitchell signs, it's going to be berserk. I'll come yeah. up with a uh, jingle for you. Don't worry. Sounds uh, good. Yeah. Say so, yeah, I've got the uh, I've got all of the sayings for the guy, so it's going to be the Daka talk. It's going to be the cider shutdown, and it's going to be the Zadina zappers. There you Those go. Good, that's going to oh, be ooh. like the sayings. Zadina or, zingers. Let's go. Zadina zingers. Mitchell Madness. <laughs> we'll think. We'll think of uh, cute middle names for our guys, like you have with Valeno. So give give us some time. <laughs> it will come though. I was checking our fan mail. We didn't have anything this week for actual like fan questions. Um, as always, we would like to thank you guys for tuning in to uh, the episode this week. Um, if you want, you can always email us or shoot us a Twitter message. Um, if you want to send us a message on Twitter, give us a follow. The Twitter handle is at StickBladePod. Um, I try to make sure that we tweet out every episode as soon as it goes up. If you want to send us a actual email with like a topic or a question you want us to uh, answer... The email for the podcast is stickbladepodcast at gmail.com. And I believe I mentioned it last week, but the podcast is now officially on iTunes. So if iTunes is your podcast location of choice, feel free to sub to the podcast. Give us a rating, five stars preferably, if you like the podcast. Um, if you don't, rating, just five stars anyways. Yeah, just, just five stars anyway. I will take any stars, preferably five stars. But ratings on iTunes do help a lot more so than a lot of other social platforms that are used to distribute podcasts. So ratings on iTunes in particular, if you listen 
on iTunes, please, please, please leave ratings. That's crucial for getting podcasts out there. Um, but with that being said, that's pretty much going to wrap our episode for tonight. Um, we appreciate you all tuning in, like I said earlier. Uh, we love sharing this with you guys and just sort of having this conversation back and forth. It's fun to get together every week and just sort of discuss the teams, what's going on around the league. The preseason starts pretty soon, so we'll have more, more meat and potatoes, actual rup, rup, rup. hockey news for the organizations to really talk about. So we're looking forward to seeing how the podcast changes in that regards. We won't have to be searching the rest of the league for news necessarily. We'll have stuff to talk about for each team. So it'll be more of a dedicated podcast than it's been this current off season. But overall, we just we really like sharing this with you guys, and we'd love to get some fan engagement with us. So go ahead and give us a follow, give us a sub, a like, whatever the social media currency is that you found us. And with that being said, this has been another edition of the Stickblade Podcast. You all have a good evening.